Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 3. Acts, chapter 3. Someone commented that I'm hard to take notes on. It is what it is, is all I can say. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. Father, we are so needy. God, let your spirit move freely, drawing us, disturbing us, challenging us, convicting us. God, for some, saving. Father, we just come before you, Lord, just asking that you would just pour yourself out as you have been. And let us be sensitive to you and obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asking alms, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was that which set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And then Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though we by our own power or holiness, we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers who hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up, denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and kill the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead. Wherefore, we are witnesses. I read this story, and, and many times as I read this story, just as you read this story, we can read it so quickly because we know it, we miss some things. And, and one of the things that God has seemed to have impressed upon me is, why is it that Jesus never healed this man that was laid there by the temple gate? You realize when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents took him to the temple for his bar mitzvah. And that lame man was at the temple gate that day because, see, see, this was, this was, he was there 40 years, it says over in Acts chapter 4. And so when Jesus was 12, 20 some years ago earlier, that lame man was there. And I can imagine Jesus as a 12 year old boy walking by, seeing the lame man, and he's automatically drawn to the Father because what he did was always within the Father's will. And he wondered, when will this day be, Lord? And then when Jesus had his public ministry for three years, he was in and out of the temple. And that lame man, it says he was there every single day. So why did Jesus not heal this lame man at the temple gate? 
But on this day, Simon, Peter, and John, who had also walked by this lame man many times, I believe, as they went into the temple, they looked upon him, they fastened their eyes upon him, and they reached out in the very name of Jesus Christ, the power of God. They touched him, raised him up, and all of a sudden this lame man who was lame for 40 years, he's made whole, he's made well. And he gets up the same way you would, I would. He's leaping, he's praising God. He goes into the church house per se, and he's excited, and everybody around recognizes this is the lame man who's been there 40 years years and what's happened how did this happen and all of a sudden a crowd gathers around and Peter starts to proclaim the word of God to these people but why didn't Jesus heal this man because he's God he's all knowing he, he saw him, he, he, he sees everything, he hears everything. Why did he not heal this man while he was on the face of the earth? And yet Simon Peter this day reached out by the power of God and touched him and made him well again. Well, well there's certain things we have to understand. And, and the first thing I want you all to understand is this. There is four things about the Holy Spirit you've got to get a handle on. And the first thing about the Holy Spirit is this, is the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. And if you look over in Romans chapter 9 verse 15, Paul is quoting the book of Exodus chapter 33 and he says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And what God is saying here through the word of God, through scripture is, God does what he wants to do. And you nor me nor anybody else can manipulate God. You ever tried that? Well, yeah, we all have. But you see, the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. Now, now guys, I'll be honest with you. I can't get my arms around sovereignty because sovereignty says God has got it all under control. Sovereignty says God is all powerful and yet bad things still happen. Sovereignty means God is all authoritative. God is in charge. And I don't understand it completely, but hallelujah, I believe it because Jesus Christ died. He arose from the dead. He is ascended on high into heaven and God, he is God of all times. And he knows you by name. He knows me by name. God is sovereign. He is in control. And when you look like your life is going to hell in a handbasket, he has got that under control as well. We just don't understand it sometimes, do we? Because we can get so focused on ourselves, we miss the kingdom purpose that God is working at in our lives. And everything works about a kingdom purpose and for a kingdom plan. You see, and the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit is just like the sovereignty of God. It says in John chapter 3 and verse 8, The wind bloweth where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goeth. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the same way the sovereignty of God is, you have God, the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, my friend, He is God in spirit. And do you understand this? That the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. And Jesus is just like the Holy Spirit. And both of them only do what the Father tells them to do. 
Jesus did not heal this man because Jesus didn't do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. He did what the Father told him to do. Do you not think that would be a wise way for you to live and for me to live and for this church to live? That we don't do our own wishes. We don't do our own will. We simply do what the Father wants. Look what it says in John chapter 5 and verse 19. And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. Everything Jesus did, he was simply mirroring the Father. Every time Jesus touched a life, healed a life, brought, brought faith into a life, he was mirroring the Father. Every time Jesus would stand and give a sermon, every time Jesus would stand and preach, he was simply doing what the Father wanted him, initiated him to do. And I cannot prove it, but I do believe that Jesus walked by this lame man as an adult. He saw him there by the temple gate and his mind thought, today, Father, and God didn't say stop, and he goes right on by because why? He only did what the Father wanted him to do. And that's how we've got to start living. We should only be doing what God wants us to be doing. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. The Holy Spirit, it says in John 16, verse 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Jesus would do nothing of Himself, and the same thing is true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't even speak on His own initiative. He only does what the prompting of the Father initiates. And if God doesn't initiate it, He doesn't do it. And you can't manipulate God. And I can't manipulate God. Though we might think we can on occasion. And though several times we probably have tried. Have you ever said, now God, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. And we think we're impressing him because of what we tell God we'll do. Do you think he needs me? No. Do you think he needs you? No. And we don't impress God one bit by saying, God, I'll do this if you'll do that. What we have to understand is what the song they just sang was, I surrender all. I surrender all that I am. And all that I want to do be is about the Father's business. And anytime anybody got touched by God, anytime anybody got healed by God, it was because God initiated it. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they work in perfect harmony. They work in perfect unity. And they work in perfect agreement. And isn't that why it says in Ephesians chapter 3 that we are to guard the unity of the Spirit? That's our task. Because we listen to God. And not to every good idea that comes down the pike. And we listen to God. And we say, God, what do you want? And so for three years, Jesus, he's in and out of Jerusalem. For three years, he's gone by and gone into the temple. And he doesn't stop and heal this man. Why? Because God didn't say to. But one day, after Jesus has already been crucified on Calvary Street, after he's already ascended on high, after the Holy Spirit has already been come down in cloven tongues of fire upon the disciples, already Peter stood and preached this mighty message. After all this has transpired, Peter and John stopped. Why? They didn't stop the day before. Do you realize they were going to the temple to pray the day before too? Because they go at the same hour every day. 
So why didn't they stop the day before? Because God did not tell them to stop. But today they said stop. And the Spirit said stop. And they stopped because God, He spoke to them and they obeyed God's prompting. That's why you have to understand as you're a child of God, you've got to learn to be sensitive to the voice of God, sensitive to the Spirit of God because other people will try to dictate to you what they want God to say into your life. But you've got to hear God for yourself. You've got to be yielded to God and not everybody was going to be healed now that's hard isn't it because we can't pick and choose who gets that divine touch and I believe in divine healing but God he does initiate but for some reason Jesus never stopped by this man who was there by the temple gate there's the sovereignty of the Spirit. And secondly, there's the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John have passed this guy several times, just like Jesus had. They go to 3 o'clock prayer meeting, 9 o'clock, whatever it was. And, and, and since the fullness of the Spirit has come, all of a sudden they're going and they don't stop. What do you think that man thought? What would you think? These are the disciples of Jesus. And maybe one day blind Bartimaeus comes running by him because he's not blind any longer. And he said, have you ever heard of this guy named Jesus? And blind Bartimaeus is sitting there all excited telling the crippled man, saying, man, let me tell you what he did to me. He, he passed by and I wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't be quiet. I kept hollering out. And all of a sudden Jesus came by and he touched my eyes and I was blind, but now I see. And that crippled man said, nope, it doesn't happen to me, but, but I know who you're talking about. I've seen him pass by my way. And you know what? He's never even prayed over me. I don't understand that. And blind Bartimaeus says, I don't understand it either, but man, he touched me. And when he touches you, you're going to know it. So what do you think the blind man thought? Why is it that God is touching everybody else's life? Why is it God is working in other people's life? But why is it he doesn't seem to be working in my life? Now, have you ever been there? Because I have. Why is it God is blessing over here, but on my side, there's no blessing coming? Why is it God is moving over here, but on my side, there's not any movement of God coming? And we sit there just like this blind man, and we feel like we have done something wrong, and maybe we have, maybe we haven't. We feel like that God is holding us at a distance. We don't understand why is God working in other people, but it's not working in me. That's how we feel. Now, we rejoice when God touches someone else's life. But when we've got a need as well, see, see, it causes us to have a little bit of confusion in our mind and in our spirit, and we don't understand it. Why? Because I don't understand the sovereignty of God. I accept it, and I believe it, I trust it, but God, He will not be manipulated by man. He will do what He wants to do when He wants to do it. But all of a sudden, here that blind man, he was not that blind man, but the crippled man, he's there by the temple gate, and he's standing there, and he sees Peter and John coming, and he's probably thinking, "Is my neighbor here yesterday, they didn't give me a nickel yesterday, but I'm going to stick out my cup one more time and maybe they'll bless me today and he sticks out that cup and for some reason Peter says stop and all of a sudden John and Peter stop and he looked down at this man and he fastens his eyes he stares intently upon this man and this guy with a cup he thinks good I'm going to get something today and I tell you what he got more than he thought he was going to get didn't he yeah and here's what he said he said silver and gold have I none I can see that cup falling down and all of a sudden, Peter says, but what I've got, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he took him by the hand, and he reached down, 
And as he's pulling that man up, it says strength came into his ankle. Now these legs have never carried his full body weight. These ankles have never supported his body weight. They have never run. He sit on the sideline when he was a little boy watching other little boys run and play. But all of a sudden this man who's always been, 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 been the crippled man, his legs were withered up probably no bigger than a pencil. And he stands up on these legs. And I believe those legs, they grew instantaneously. And they supported his full weight. And all of a sudden he starts jumping around. And he starts running. And all of a sudden he says, whoa, glory to God. Such as I have. Why did he stop? Because they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've encountered people or not that tell you, God has led me. Hang on, brother. And I get weary when I hear people say, God has led me, brother Mark. And it lasts about two months. And I want to say, God didn't lead you any longer than that. God has told me to do this. Well, why'd you quit? Or God has told me, and they're going to have to miss church to do it. Hmm. See, we can abuse that phrase, God has led me. And you put yourself in a bad way when you use that phrase without knowing the leadership of God. But God led Simon Peter and John that day. Now, the Holy Spirit is super sensitive. Do you like being around super sensitive people? The answer is no. Why? Because they wear their feelings on their sleeve and you're afraid to breathe, you're afraid to speak and they make you highly uncomfortable because they get mad at just the slightest little thing. But let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit is more sensitive than the most sensitive person you know. He is super sensitive. And the Bible says to us in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, I believe it is, to grieve not the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is sensitive. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we hurt His feelings. We cause pain to come into the Holy Spirit's life. And when that happens, the Holy Ghost withdraws His conscious presence, awareness from our life. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose the anointing of God upon your life. You lose the power of God on your life. You can lose the direction of God upon your life. Because when you grieve the Holy Spirit, He withdraws. You remember over in, in, in one of the Gospels when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? And the Bible says that the Holy Ghost came down as a dove and remained, lit, remained upon Jesus Christ. Man, there's no greater thing than the Spirit of God coming down upon your life. There's no greater thing than the Spirit of God coming down upon a church, upon a church family, upon a worship service. There's nothing better. But here's what it says about Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit remained on Him. And what happens with us so many times is we can experience the moving of God, the power of God can come down upon our lives, can come down upon our worship service. But within two hours, we're sitting in front of a ball game going, hey, go, yeah! And we have no concept of the Holy Ghost. Why is it we understand the coming of the Holy Spirit, but we don't understand the remaining of the Holy Spirit? 
Because, see, it's so easy for us to grieve the Spirit of God. And when we grieve the Spirit of God, we lack the sensitivity to the leadership that He has. So, so how do you grieve the Spirit? You ever stood in Walmart? And the person in front of you can't find that coupon? And they've cleaned out their pocketbook? And they said, Billy, would you go to the car and see if you can find that 50-cent coupon so I can get this toilet paper cheaper? And you're back there going... And there's 13 lines, but they're all deep, knee-deep and rising. And, and so you think, if I go over there, it's going to be worse. And so, so you're biting your tongue. Why? Because, because you're frustrated. Because this person's not in a hurry. And, and they ain't got nothing else to do in life but stand here. And you got things to do just like me. And we don't roll our eyes outwardly, but inside, buddy, they're just doing backflips, our eyeballs. Now, is that grieving the Spirit? How about in traffic? Are you amazed at how many people can't drive as good as we can? They don't know what lane to get into. They don't know how to use a turn signal. Don't talk about me, honey. And we're driving up the road and we're thinking, if these people would just push the gas pedal. And I'll say, sister, push the gas pedal. I'll say, hey, you know, it's a woman. I'm usually right on that one, but never mind, never mind. See, 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 these things cause frustration in us. Why? Because we're in a hurry. And God may be saving us from a wreck. I've learned to look at things like that. What's God keeping me from getting into that I would have no control over the drunk driver or whatever might be coming down the wrong side of the road? But see, see, this is how we grieve because we get so frustrated because our self is not getting satisfied. And that's how easy it is to grieve the Spirit of God. And the Spirit could yell at me, and I wouldn't hear him at that moment. See, the Spirit of God is sensitive, and when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we lose that conscious awareness of His presence. That's why you and I have to cultivate a, a responsiveness in our life to what the Word of God says. That, that's why we've got to cultivate walking in obedience to what God's Word says. Because, see, see, when we grieve the Spirit, we don't lose our salvation. We lose that anointing. We lose the awareness of the presence of God working on our behalf. But when you walk in the ungrieved Holy Spirit, it's amazing with clarity what you can hear and what you can know. But you've got the responsibility, just like I do, is that I have got to walk in the ungrieved presence of Almighty God. And Jesus, when the Spirit came down at his baptism, it says it came down and remained upon him. Now, now, do you all know the difference between a pigeon and a dove? Surely you do. Yeah, we know the difference. You can look at a pigeon and it's just boisterous and loud, right? Now, they're all in the same family. But a pigeon is just boisterous and loud. But a dove is gentle and coos. A pigeon mates with anybody. A dove mates for life with one. A lot of folks got pigeon religion. And they need the dove of the Holy Ghost to be on their life. Where they're sensitive to. A pigeon. I was standing in Jackson Square, New Orleans one time. Had a 
something in my hand to eat, and I had 12 pigeons light up my arms on my head down the other side. Now, they didn't like me. They liked what I had in my hand. Dove's never going to do that. There was, there was a missionary couple that went to Jerusalem to, to serve as missionaries, and they'd rented a house there in Jerusalem. And, and as they were serving the Lord there in that capacity in Jerusalem, they, they noticed that in the eve of their house, there was a pigeon had made a, had made a nest and was abiding there. And they took it as an affirmation because the dove of God, the Holy Ghost of God, it was just showing that, that, that he was affirming this is where you're supposed to be. And one day the lady said to her husband, she said, have you noticed the pigeon that's in the eaves? He said, yes. He said, have you noticed though, though when we start talking loudly that the pigeon leaves? Have you noticed when we slam a door, the pigeon flies away? And the man said, yes, I've noticed that it concerned me because I don't want the pigeon or the dove to leave. So I better adjust my life the dove and we better learn to adjust our life to the spirit and to the word of God because it's only as we adjust ourselves there that we have an understanding of the abiding presence of the spirit and we have an awareness that, that God has promised us he will go with us he'll never leave us he'll never forsake us and we can have an awareness that, that we follow his will but you know what the Bible says the easiest way to grieve the Holy Spirit is? Let no root of bitterness. Y'all know what bitterness is? Anybody want to give testimony? <laughs> bitterness. When we have resentment in our heart towards somebody, that grieves the Spirit of God. And here's the issue. We get comfortable being this way. And when we get comfortable with this sin in our life, this bitterness, this unforgiveness in our life, we're not sensitive to the Spirit of God. And so we do religious things like come to church and Sunday school and read our Bible and say our prayers, but we don't know the presence of God in reality upon our life. God you got you, you think issues with bitterness? I, I was preaching a revival up in Canada several years ago at a Vietnamese church. And, and by the end of the week, they said, Brother Mark, we want you to hold a healing service. Hmm. I said, okay. Now, I don't believe in faith healing, but I believe in divine healing. And so that night after the service, they said, we're going to have a time of prayer for healing. And, and guys, I do this uh, during the Lord's Supper. You'll, you'll, you'll realize that. Is, is when we have the Lord's Supper, I want to say we'll have a time of healing. And, uh, and here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, just like I asked these people in this line, and that line went all the way back to that church. I'm going to say, if you want to be prayed for for healing, you can come forward. And I will ask you personally by yourself, I'll say, have you got any unconfessed sin in your life that would prevent God from healing you if he wanted to right now? Because, see, if you harbor unconfessed sin, undealt with sin in your life, you disqualify yourself. So I've got this healing line going on, and I'm praying for and I don't feel nothing. I'm not supposed to feel nothing. And this little bit, when these ladies, she comes up to me, and I said, Ma'am, have you got any sin in your life that would prevent God from healing you if he so chose to heal you right now at this moment? And she looked at me, and she said, I'm so bitter because some people killed my son 15 years ago. I wasn't expecting that one. She said, I've not slept a night through in 15 years. 
I said, ma'am, are you willing to confess that a sin to God and ask him to forgive you to restore the joy of your salvation and come clean with the Father? She said, yes. I anointed her with oil. I prayed for her. Next person came up. I felt nothing. Next night we came back to church. She comes walking in. She's skipping, excited, standing up. To I've slept through the first night in 15 years. I dealt with a lady in the last three months. She has some bad back issues. And I prayed for this lady many times. And I always ask her the same thing. I said, you got any unconfessed hidden sin in your life? She dealt with bitterness. And she, you want to say justifiable bitterness? In the man's eyes it is. But in God's eyes, and when she resolved it and went to the person, she said, my back pain's gone. We grieve the Spirit of God when we harbor bitterness. So, so what is it they did to you? And what is it that Jesus didn't die for when he died on? Take it to the cross. And say, Lord, I'm pained, I'm hurt, I've carried this. I need to let it go. And get right. And then the ungrieved Holy Spirit can abide freely in your life. And you know what happens when the ungrieved Holy Spirit abides in my life and abides in my life and abides in, in your life? When we all get walking in the ungrieved Holy Spirit, whoo, watch out, brother. Because when the ungrieved Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we can hear when God says, stop. Fasten your eyes. And reach out and touch somebody in Jesus' name. So, so, so you see, you have to understand the sovereignty of the Spirit. You have to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and then, then, then you, you, you can't presume just because you, you've been saved for 50 years that, that you and Jesus have got something worked out here. Because God doesn't cut deals. Do you, do you remember when Mary and Joseph, they went to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 and they passed the lame man sitting there by the gate. It doesn't say it in Scripture, but I believe they passed him by when he's sitting there by the gate. And, and, and what happened? Mary and Joseph, they went there and they came back going and they were three days and guess who they missed? Joseph looks at Mary and says, Mary, where's Jesus? And Mary looks at Joseph and says, so he wasn't my responsibility this week. He was your responsibility this week. What? You don't have him? No, you ain't got him? No, where is he? I don't know. Where was the last place we left him? We left him at the temple. How long's that been? Three days? How do you lose your kid for three days and you don't know they're gone? Now you talk about bad parents. <laughs> now let's just do a class here. Now, we had people come to our church back in, in wherever we lived. <laughs> I start to say West Virginia. And, and, and they got to church, and, and they both thought they brought their son. They drove separate cars. Church got over, and they said, where's David? You brought David. No, I didn't bring David. You, David was left at home. But they figured it out in two hours. But we're talking three days. Nobody's seen Jesus. Isn't it amazing how you can assume that he's with you and he's been gone for three days? or three months, or three years. 
but you're doing the same old religious stuff that just drier and dust. Mm. Where did they find him? Where they left him? Where are you going to find him? Where you left him? Because the point of departure is always the point of return. Where the sin was, you've got to go back and deal with it. That's the point of departure. And that's the point you return to when you bring it to the cross. You can't presume. You, you remember Samson and Delilah? He laid his head in her lap. She cut the locks of his hair. She said, the Philistines are upon you. And the Bible says he stood up and shook himself, knowing not that the Spirit had departed from him. How long have you been walking without the Holy Ghost? How long have you been moving through life without the Holy Spirit? How long? Or do you know the ungrieved Spirit of God? Because when you know the ungrieved Spirit of God in your life, it makes a difference in how you live. You see, 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 what happens sometimes when God is silent, it's not because we may have sinned, though that might be the issue. Sometimes God is silent in our life because he is trying to mold our character like Jesus. Sometimes God is silent and he wants us to adjust to him because he wants to produce in our lives greater obedience. Sometimes he wants to, to, to see how much we really love God because words can be easy and words can be cheap. Sometimes he is trying to give us a greater sensitivity to the Spirit of God. And sometimes he just wants to allow us to have greater anointing because we're going to keep on being faithful even when we don't feel nothing. But we've not got any undealt with sin in our life. So you've got the sovereignty of the Spirit of God. You've got the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and the third thing you see here is, is the surprise of the Spirit. Look what it says in, in chapter 3 and verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why does this surprise you? Why are you shocked that this lame man is up and moving, walking? Why? Because the old Holy Spirit of God, he was unleashed at that moment because he was ungrieved upon the life of Peter and John. Now listen to me. Peter and John, where were they going? Prayer meeting. What did they miss? Prayer meeting. What did they do? They demonstrated the very power of God. But listen. Let's suppose that Peter and John... Let's just say John, the beloved disciple. Let's say that he said, Peter, why is it you always get to say, stop, fasten your eyes on us? I want to say, stop, fasten your eyes on us. What if these two guys got arguing about who gets to do the lead? They would have made prayer meeting. They'd have missed God. What if Peter and his wife decided they'd have an argument? Now, you all have never done this on your way to church. Pulling in a parking lot, your face is bright red and veins are popping out of your neck, ladies, right? Men. And we come into church, I say, oh, hello, Brother Mark. See, if, if Peter and Miss Peter had had an argument, they'd have, missed, they would have, they'd have made prayer meeting. They'd have missed God. The ungrieved Holy Spirit. You've got to learn to walk in that. And when he stirs conviction 
of a sin, of, of what we may have done, what we have failed to do. As his word says, we adjust to what God says. We make things right. Because all of a sudden, here's Peter, sensitive to the Spirit of God. John, sensitive to the Spirit of God. Walking by this man, they've passed by many times, and the Spirit says stop, and they had sense enough to stop. Why? Because the Spirit led them back. And he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he took him by the hand and raised him up. And it was shouting time. And they did like we did. We came running to see what happened to the lame man. He's been there 40 years. He's a fixture here. What happened to the lame man? And he's pointing to Peter and John, saying, these men in the name of Jesus Christ reached out. Are you reaching out to the people in the name of Jesus Christ? Fourth thing. You have to understand there's a strategy taking place here. You've got the sovereignty of the Spirit. You've got sensitivity to the Spirit. There's a surprise of the Spirit. But understand there is a strategy. That means there is a plan. Now, I know you all are more spiritual than me. And you all have never put your plan before God's plan. But I have done that. It don't work out real good. But God's got a plan. Aren't you glad of that? God has a kingdom plan. Sean and I are trying to move here. We laid here on this altar yesterday afternoon to said, Lord, we don't know what house to buy. We, God, we pray that you stop any place we're not supposed to go to. Because sometimes our flesh can get in the way. And, and, and he's done that for us in the past. But, but, but you've got to say, God, we just want to be on your page. We're not asking you to adjust to us. We want to adjust to you. And you've brought us here, and you have a plan, a place. We just want to walk in your plan. But God, we don't have sense sometimes to know, and, and our flesh starts jumping. You know how flesh ever start jumping? And you start looking at that, and it's shiny. And it's exciting. And all of a sudden, your flesh is going, Man, that's nice, Lord, isn't it? Man, Lord, you did a good job when you made this thing up. But see, 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 God has a plan, but God's plan is not Mark's kingdom plan. God's plan is his plan. It is a kingdom purpose of God. And Jesus never healed this man because he knew one day the church at Jerusalem was going to need a platform to preach the word of God. Jesus had healed this man of his ministry, we would probably have never heard of it because all the books in the world can't contain what all Jesus did, the Bible tells us. But when Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the unruly Spirit of God, they walked by that day and the Spirit said stop, and they stopped, and they reached out their hand in the name of Jesus Christ and touched him, God had a plan, and it was his kingdom plan. And all of a sudden, everybody in Jerusalem showed up for church. Mm, isn't that smart, God? Isn't it amazing how God's got this thing figured out and we don't? Everybody showed up, and what did Peter do? He went straight eyeball to eyeball and said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed! But the only way you're ever going to meet God is through him. 
he preached the gospel to these people. And people came to faith. And you know what happened next? This is another sermon. I'll not go there. They got arrested. Hmm. Well, Lord, I'm doing what's right. I shouldn't have any problems. We'll talk about that later. Because, you see, when you're doing God's will, you put yourself in a position for the first time that God can trust you with problems so he can handle them in his divine way, so he can be most glorified in your life, through your life, even in our church. Everybody showed. So, so what do you think? If we all come to church, we're all walking in an ungrieved Holy Spirit. I think every time we're going to have But even if you don't want to, I can. Or you can by yourself. Because you walk in the name of the Holy Spirit is not dependent upon anybody else. But you get serious with the Word of God. With whatever issues are in your life, whatever bitterness that you've hung on to for however long. And you say, God, I need to walk in this And I can't grieve you. Because I want your anointing on my life. I want you to use me for your glory. I want you to show up and demonstrate yourself mighty. So what's God saying to you? What area of your life is there that you are walking What stuff are you doing? said anything to your heart today. Maybe you're here and you don't know that you know that you know if you're to die tonight you would go to heaven if you die. Maybe your name is on 17 churches. You've been baptized 72 times. But you don't know that you know that you know if you die tonight you'd go to heaven. Well if, if you would just realize that that's the drawing power of the Holy Spirit showing you a divine revelation if you would just respond to him he can do a work of grace in your life. Quit hanging on to something that, that was past tense and say, God, I've got to settle it right now. I want to nail it down. And, and, and you just confess your sin. You ask him by faith to come into your heart and save you. And, and you just nail it down. Here I am, Lord. And I want to settle it. Maybe you know that you've never been saved. Maybe you know that, that you, if you die today, you're not going to go to heaven. And, and God has spoken to your heart. Man, man, why would you stay where you are? There's no guarantee of any of us another day. The, the, the brother shared with me earlier uh, about a, like a 50-year-old man just dying of a heart attack the other day while he was preaching. That's a good thing. But that's, age is no respecter of persons. Death is no respecter of persons. So, so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, why don't you come today and be shown with the Word of God how to be born again? And maybe you know that you're saved. You know that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But, but, but you've just let stuff get so in your life that, that you don't know what it is to walk in the ungrieved Holy Spirit. 
and you don't know the peace, the joy, the purpose. Off you go. Won't you obey God? Fathers, we bow before you this morning. We thank you that your, your love is tremendous, your grace is sufficient. But Father, I pray as people now are processing your truth, they're listening to the convicting draw of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would just draw them, that they know they're obeying you. And God, let them find a place at this altar and come and get clean, come and get saved. God, just come and pour out on behalf of someone else. But Father, you just demonstrate yourself this day. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. You're a great God. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Stand together as we sing. Obey God if he's speaking to your heart. Come this morning. If you need to unite with this church, come join this church.